it wasn't just a financial hit we took on that paddock. It was a it was a hit on the plant. It wasn't photosynthesizing, so it wasn't wasn't doing what it should for the soil. It wasn't just not doing what it should for our bank balance. And you know that I sort of really hit home. The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative, low input, regenerative, and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil, an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. Warm greetings, everyone. It's been a long time between episodes, but anyone who knows Nutrisoil is aware it has been a whirlwind 12 months from staffing and role changes to families finding new pathways. Change always brings a new vibe and we have a huge vibe happening for the 2021 season. I'm pleased to announce that you can expect more podcasts and biological farming roundtable events across Australia. The regenerative farming movement is moving fast and we are in boots and all. Today's episode, I bring to you our long-term friends, Paul and Wendy Weems, who operate a beautiful broadacre grazing property in Tarkata, New South Wales. Co-hosting with me today will be Phil Lee from Regenerate Earth. Phil has been helping Paul and Wendy assess and increase the biology in their soils. This is our conversation with Paul and Wendy. What makes life on your farm so special? Um, I thought a bit about that question and uh, numerous things popped to my head, but I think the biggest thing that makes life special is probably the partnership that Paul and I have, mm-hmm. is our ability to work together um, to strive for the same goals. We're both heading in the same direction, both hold the same values and, it, you know, living together and working together seven days a week as anyone doesn't know it can have its challenges, but we tend to be able to rise above them, have a bit of humour along the way and still be best mates. And I think that's what really makes life special on our farm. So what's the role that you both play? There's no um, direct role. It's probably we share the role of everything. Um, naturally, each of us have our better um, things that we're better at and we tend to do them but yeah Wendy helps driving the tractor and she I help with the stock work or vice versa it's yeah we just sort of wherever helps needed we step in and do it so yeah we we work out what needs to be done virtually each day and who's going where and in what direction and who needs a hand um, with doing stuff and and you know Paul's got a great engineering brain a lot of mechanical knowledge so there's a lot that he does in that field that I can't do but I can do a lot of the stock or the monitoring or he can we set a machine up and I can drive that's not a problem Um, doing that sort of thing so we share a lot of the roles that we do do and don't specifically go down one path or the other. You talked earlier about the values that you both share shared values in farming and in life do you want to share what they are? I suppose with the farming side of it is is just trying to produce something as, as healthy as we can um, and getting that health in the paddocks, the soils and, and in the grasses. Yeah, I mean, it's constantly changing with the environment. So it's sort of, you've got to keep sort of thinking at it, what's coming up next. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that, that correlates to the health in our animals too and, and the health in ourselves because, you know, we, we eat our own meat. 
we milk our own cow, we grow our own vegetables and, and you know, have our own eggs. So it, it sort of relates all down the track. When you're doing something out in the paddock, you, you're sort of always in the back of mind as you're thinking, well, you know, we're eating what we produce as well. So, you know, are we happy with what we're doing? And, and that sort of value is doing the best we can for our, for our soils, our plants, and our, doing the best we can for our animals and also for ourselves. What's your grandest vision for the farm? Uh, probably I'd, I'd like to see more diversity, not in just what is growing in a paddock that an animal can graze, but what's um, growing shrubs and um, to bring in other wildlife, other birds, smaller birds, other insects. More diversity is, is the grandest vision, is, is to get those paddocks um, themselves growing with more species, of course, for the animals, for their health, but also more species in other plant life as well. It's definitely happening, isn't it, Phil? On that drive around out there, we, we had some exciting things that we saw. Yeah, it has, Carla. What's really exciting is what Paul and Wendy are doing is the transition um, and the understanding within the 18 months I've known them, the change where Paul and Wendy have look, really looked at their grazing regime and today we saw spectacular results of where soil health and plant health are absolutely astonishing. You know, we've got that symbiosis working with the, the, the biology, with the plants, but also with the livestock. And you can see within Paul and Wendy and when you drive on the farm how healthy and it just feels right. So on that behalf, you know, they're eating their own meat, they're supplying their own food and they know there's no carbon footprint. And what they're doing here is very, very intelligent. There's been three years of drought here and this year has been a bumper season. How have you taken advantage of that season? I mean, at the beginning of the year when we started planting, we were sort of just coming off of a very dry patch and, you know, we had the big fires around and what have you, but we just had to try and get in and plant stuff up. Uh, we do a lot of multi-species, which just to try and stimulate growth after we've had the dry times. And, and now that we have had a good season, it's just really showing that, you know, um, yeah, fantastic results. Um, both with growth above the ground and also with what Phil's been helping us with stuff that's going under the soil as well. So, Yeah, I, th I think we learnt in those three dry years, um, like if I look back on our records, they're, they're virtually the three driest years that we've had and they were in a row. And, and last year I think it was, what, 320 mil we had, which, which is still not too bad, but that depends when it falls. Um, but we... we discovered that we needed to, if we didn't plant it, we didn't have it to graze it, is that we, we couldn't rely too heavily on any pastures to get us through. We carried all our stock. We were able to cut off silage. We were able to keep all our stock at home. Um, and I think when coming into this year, as Paul was saying, is there was a prediction it would be wetter, but we weren't putting that in the bank and saying that that was it. And we were looking at our paddocks and we were saying, okay, what's not performing? What can we do? What have we got on hand? And we had seed that we'd grown ourselves and we'd cleaned in the bank, ready to go. Um, and, and so we, we just designated paddocks and we, we started in March before a rain event, sowing into a dry paddock, which we, we discovered 
is much better than sewing after a rain event is direct drilling in beforehand. Even if you only get five to ten mil, that those oats they're going to take off on that. And you know, after years of growing in dry times, that's what we knew would happen, and that's what's got us through those three years. You asked Phil along to come and help you make some decisions on your farm. Phil, what's your involvement been here? What changes have Paul and Wendy implemented since you've been working with them? I think the clear understanding of how nature works and its symbiotic relationships is to understand that we over-fertilise. You know, we, we know this because in, even in Western Australia, 380,000 soil tests, 84% of all farmers were using excess fertiliser and that's only paying the stock and agent more money and we've got to get smarter and with the change we've just dropped back to plain super. We're using uh, biological stimulants as we know with Nutrisoil um, covered on the seed and the biostimulants are actually working in wonders because the paddocks we were in today we had no aphids uh, 12 months ago, they were rife with aphids and it's just showing that the grazing, the soil biology under the microscopes have come back pretty good. Um, we're still in bacteria dominance in places, but majority this farm is now turning around and we're getting this resilience that we need for the longevity of green growth. And you saw that today when we went down into the place of these plants, the coolness and, and the moisture retention sitting there is just cooling. And that cooling effect is just perfect for what we need to do is rebuilding soils. The multi-species were remarkable. You could just drop a shovel in there full spade. And I've been on a number of farms in the same rainfall recently and you cannot get that shovel in. What was the change um, to single super? Why did you change and what were you using previously? Um, Paul, have to answer that on the MAP side and nitrogen. Yeah, we were using the MAP um, and with having the insect attack, Phil was suggesting that we try and knock out the, the nitrogen in it, which is in the MAP, just to try and help with the insect attack. So, yeah, that's what we've done. Um, still having the single super with the phosphate in there. So Yeah, a little bit of sulphur in there as well. And, and the idea was to put a bit under there, not, not too much, and if we needed to put a nitrogen source over top later on, we could do with a yes, little... a bit of foliar, yeah. Yeah, with a little bit of foliar. And we found that um, in the places that we have done it, we barely used any. We probably um, uh, somewhere between 5, 10 litres. Of uh, UAN, yeah, yeah just yeah. as a foliar spray, yeah. Yeah, and we actually put it with Nutrisoil as well uh, and sprayed it on. But, yeah, the, the basic idea was getting away from that nitrogen source to get that insect attack down. See, basically what, that's not basic, nature does this in itself and it's called uh, nutrient recycling and where we miss the point a lot is that with um, conventional farming we're actually adding more fertiliser so we're taking out the, the biology, we're reducing the biology and we saw that clearly in Bansdale this time last year in the colour where the increase in nitrogen had a dramatic effect on biology and the farmer was convinced that he was going to get more out of this certain patch than where there was less nitrogen. Well, it worked out the other way around. You know, the same all over is that the higher the nitrogen levels, we're pushing the biology out 
and I'm not saying not use nitrogen, I'm saying use it cautiously and wisely and it doesn't need to go down the chute in large numbers. You can use it as a foliar without damaging your biology. And, and that's critical to regenerative farming and, and I think where people really misunderstand regenerative farming, it's an individual view on your process and how you manage it and you're certainly not going broke. You know, we proved this beyond reasonable doubt with Charlie Massey and Walter and myself, Christine Jones, and especially with um, Paul and Wendy, you know, uh, the evidence, people asking, where's the evidence? Well, look at the photographs, be on the properties, you're standing in the evidence, and, and what don't you see in the evidence? Yeah, going back to the Bansdale trial that we worked on together, Phil, what we saw was, uh, it was the tipping point. There was a tipping point for nitrogen when you went over that tipping point, the roots under the microscope were bare compared to where you'd used just a little nitrogen and they were able to have uh, aggregation and they were able to have that soil sticking to it and the mycorrhizal fungi. So it's that judicial use of nitrogen that regenerative farming, you know, is encouraging. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the excess, you know, and it, it's pretty sad, I think, you know, when, when I look at growers and we've got large growers in the WA that are using this idea and, and I mean very large and the point is that we're not paying the fertiliser companies large huge amounts of money where we can reinvest in their own reinvest in their own farm you know so uh, it's not stop using fertiliser it's using it wisely and, under, and people know their farms and they understand that and it's just working with nature and, and rebuilding as you go. We went out to a cracking Māori species today. Uh, extremely, it, it's an amazing story. Uh, who wants to tell me what happened there? Because it was taller than me and I'm a tall girl. What was going on? We, um, the particular little paddock that we did was a paddock that we um, locked our cattle up in when uh, um, vegetation was getting low. Uh, at the beginning of the year, it was only four, a bit over four hectares. Um, we had 140 cows, I think, wasn't it? Mm. Um, we locked them up in there and fed them every day in a confinement area, which just the manure and the um, urine on that area was astronomical, but there was a lot of compaction with it. We had them in there for, I think it was about six... Eight, about eight, uh, about, eight weeks. About eight, eight weeks. weeks yeah. um, we fed them in their silage um, just to... Keep them off the rest of the place, uh, rest of the paddocks, um, trying not to reduce the vegetation. So after they'd finished in there, we lightly um, speed tilled it when it was moist and um, just opened it up and then we sowed straight into it on the 29th of May. End of May, End of May, I think it was, um, with some sayer oats, um, vetch and peas and yeah the crop we saw was yeah just unbelievable and the soil the soil underneath was yeah likewise so so what nutrition did you use on that Paul we are we only put out um, single super there was a bit of um, MAP still in the back of the truck mixed in with the single super but it was only a couple of bags worth in about two tons worth so not very much at all uh, and that's that was the only fertilizer we put down with it we did Seed treat, um, seed treat the, the, the seed with um, Nutrisoil, 
at about, oh, I don't know, maybe eight to ten litres per tonne. We we'll just put it on to wet it and, um, yeah, just put it down like that. So that's all we did. So. Do you use any mycorrhizal fungi no, out there? No, not on that so, one. Okay. No, and we used it for a holding paddock for our cattle at a time in their pregnancy mm. when they were... Um, it, well, I was also weight, weight monitoring, so I was making sure that that um, they were going to have a successful calving. So by doing that, it enabled them to be fitter coming into calving, um, having their weight managed, and it also increased the fertility of the paddock at the same time. By using a sacrifice paddock, we, we cut off the areas where we wouldn't be able to sow, that were not arable, that um, had more shrubs and trees, etc., or native in it, so that they wouldn't impact those areas and we kept them specifically on the area we wanted to sow in. Have you ever seen that particular paddock look like it is at the moment? I mean, having a, digging up those root systems and seeing that aggregation so far down. No, never, no, never, never seen no. it in that paddock, no. no. No, it's no. always it's all, struggling. It's, it's always been a tough paddock to yeah grow anything on. It goes up on some higher ground. It does get quite shaly, but it, it dries out quite quickly, and it's yeah generally hasn't had much growing on it uh, for years. So using it as a sacrifice paddock, you actually increase the fertility of it. Exactly. Yes. 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 Interesting. Your breeding operation. Um, you're not trading cattle. No. So there are some uh, different ways of managing compared to if you were trading. Yeah, because we've got to keep the breeding stock, I suppose, you, you have to trade a lot, manage a lot differently to, your, to a trading um, account um, only because, yeah, sometimes you need to hold those animals in a confinement area so that you've still got them to go when you do get growth. So. Yeah, you, you need to be able to manipulate them to, to, to be a good breeder you, you you need percentages, you need high percentages of live animals on the ground. And so at times we, we have sheep as well, which we bought in using in 2018 to go back into sheep. We had them back in the 90s. We, we used to run merino weathers um, and we rotated them out and um, decided we'd get back in to diversify a little bit. But there's periods of, of time where you, you need to manipulate their weight for their health um, and that's... A for their for their breeding to make sure they're cycling, and getting getting in calf or getting in lamb, and also um, health coming up to calving and lambing to making sure that it's going to be successful. And so periods of time throughout the year, you're going to have to to either put them in a paddock that's a lower fertile paddock or hold off. Sometimes we have great success with our heifers calving our heifers down is is using that weight management. Um, in that last trimester is actually maintaining their weight, not letting them increase. Um, and they are much more successful in calving down um, live calves and with, with minimal help. So you're always going to have some type of sacrifice paddock on this farm to manage your breeding operation. Have you normally rotated that around? Yes. Yes, depending on, on what paddock we think needs attention. Yeah. Um, we've done that in different areas at different times and um, uh, sometimes it's needed to be for longer than others. It depends. Depends uh, on the season, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sometimes we hold them there just to look after the, all the other paddocks. So, mm. How do you choose which paddock you're going to use? Whatever, whatever we don't think is performing enough or, yeah, it needs a bit of work, 
um, and all paddocks need it. After a while, they get a bit trampled or whatever, a bit run down. So yeah, but there's some paddocks that like like we we might have used to sow something into, and the response has not been good. And and we had that. Um, we, we showed you one paddock we call the Creek Paddock, and it's a low, lower fertility paddock. And Phil saw it in winter. We we sowed into it. And using the single super this year really brought to the front that that issue that it is a lower fertile paddock that won't perform without that nitrogen input. But taking back a sample that Phil had a look at and compared it to our other paddocks that were performing is the biology wasn't there. So. so will you go back to MAP for your nitrogen or is there another way you're going to look at that? No, I think we'll, we'll still go in with the single super. Um, we did put a small application of um, UAN on on the on that paddock um, this year, but not a huge response out of it, just because it's just lacking under the soil. If we can't get across a percent or a fair percentage of it, if we have to um, lock them up and use that paddock this year, we'll also probably try um, again some more uh, mycorrhizal fungi to, to stimulate the biology growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and do it that way as well. So yeah. Phil, you've seen quite a few of these management strategies under the microscope. What's working and what's not here? Well, look, we, we can't say what's not working and what isn't working. Everything's working, just some's working better than others. Um, the weaker paddocks are just simply uh, down on biology. And while the biology is as weak as it is, uh, we need to, re, um, to kickstart that again and using uh, the biostimulants with Nutrisoil will kickstart this with you know some trachoderma and, and um, bacillus bacteria and also mycorrhizal fungi because we've got to remember that we're using um, Mediterranean plants and the native uh, mycorrhizal will associate but you know these paddocks are, are really on their knees uh, biologically speaking and you know to turn this around we could take a lot longer but we haven't got that time, so we can turn these around in a 12 to 14 months period to just get them to a specific level of good soil biology, which is going to respond to the plants and the plants respond to the animals, and it's just a knock-on effect. But, yeah, life starts in the soil, and that's where we've got to really concentrate, and we can do it. We've done a couple of paddocks already. Um, they've responded really well under the microscopes. We've got very good videos and... Um, stills on the work we've done here and you know that's a catalyst and a catalogue we sit side by side each year and we, we put them in and we can see where we've been and if, which way we're going on the biological side. If you see red-legged earth mite here how do you manage that? Depending on the severity of the attack um, and the stage of the, and, of the, and the stage of the plant yeah, yeah. If we feel we need to hit it with insecticide, we will, but if we can manage it biologically um, or by either putting some Nutrisoil on or just, yeah, it depends on the plant growth. If it's affecting it too much, well, then we need to step it up and do something about taking them out so that the plant can grow. Yeah, we, we, we had an experience um, last year where we planted oats in the paddock down there. We showed you the model species and we brought Phil along 
um, sort of later in the year. I think it was warming warming up quite a bit. And he, and he um, was looking in the paddock next door and he jumped the fence and he said, what the heck's going on here? And he went in there and, and um, we, we had an insect attack on the oats uh, previously and we, we didn't do anything about it because over the years we, we kick ourselves about doing or spraying or whatever, or we, we sort of, you know, this is not the way we should be going, we can't, you know, if other people are doing it, why can't we do it sort of thing. And and he, he virtually blasted us and I, I understood why. Did not. He did. did. <laughs> I understood why because, because as he pointed out, it, it wasn't just a financial hit we took on that paddock. It was a... It was a hit on the plant. It wasn't photosynthesising, so it wasn't wasn't doing what it should for the soil. It wasn't just not doing what it should for our bank balance. And, you know, that sort of really hit home and I thought, okay, so for that one swipe at that time early on when it needed it, and and we did do that this year. We we had an insect attack and we did do that one swipe and didn't have to do anything again after that but the response we got after that has been phenomenal and the the life that's still in that soil now that it's warming up is is phenomenal but that that was a big lesson to us and I I think there's times when you do have to act um, because at the end of the day it's the growth you need to have that growth to start with to be able to make change if you're not getting that growth you can't make change. Biologically speaking with um if we're having insect attacks, we've got high nitrates, especially with red legs and aphids, because they only eat nitrate. They can only, and if we increase, uh, decrease the nitrate, increase the energy of the plant with the sugars and uh, cellulose, then we've got a stronger cell of the plant, and these insects can't attack it, and they'll move on. Is there a timing trick with sowing to avoid them eating your young crops? Certainly, if you can get the uh, your crops planted early and get them going, they're they're a lot stronger and, and healthier. Um, the later you go into the season, I mean, the plant doesn't get away, and you you can get insect attack, either red legged or or um, aphids. So certainly, you've just yeah got to get something growing, and and then just assess as it comes if if you yeah. need to do something. I think that was clearly evident, Paul, in the couple of years I've known you. Is that the later so, um, sowing crops really struggle when the cold hits mm. and as soon as the soil starts to cool down, the growth rate, and plus the days are shorter, you haven't got the area, the daylight hours of photosynthesis. So uh, the observation I've made since being here is the early sowing crops are by far the superior and, um, and a lot healthier. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, I agree with that. And we, we, we're able to feed off on them quite early as well. Um, and that also helps with insect attack because um, the oats we use, we use a sayer oat, which, which, as I said, it grows on the whiff of rain. It's, it's fantastic and it's a fantastic feed oat. Um, but it, it can also um, get a virus from the aphids. But what we discovered with the sayer oats is if an aphid comes across and the attack won't be... Um, you won't notice it straight away, but you'll notice it down the track because the oat will start going yellow, a yellowy, orangey colour. And previously we thought, oh, no, you know, we've ruined it. <laughs> we've lost out on that one. Um, but we've discovered by getting animals over it, and sometimes you have to, to sell it up and get them to graze it. Once hard. you yeah, graze it hard, once you get them to graze it, get them off, it'll green up. 
or, or we've actually had a paddock um, this year um, that we couldn't graze a section. It, it got wet and we pulled the animals off because we didn't want them to damage the paddock. And um, it really shone up and we thought, oh, well, you know, we've probably lost that. But then, you know, within about four to six weeks, it started turning around, started started reshooting, regreening, and it, and it grew through it. So, you know, it, it's never lost. Yeah. You do think that you have changed your grazing management possibly this year compared to other years. What's different and why did you change? Our grazing management is probably... It just intensified. We, we've always sort of had larger mobs and, and rotational. rotational grazing them around, but we've probably just intensified it a bit, um, increased the numbers still a little more, but also reducing the size of their paddock just to get them over it and get that herd effect, the quick chew, and then leaving vegetation still there to, to reshoot and, um, yeah, get going again. So, Why did you change that? Was it just the good season or...? Uh, a bit of both, a bit of that and a bit of our son, yeah, a bit of input from him. Um, he'd done a grazing management course and he'd come back and and Paul had previously done a course um, almost 20 years ago and picked up a lot of stuff from that as well and we've never sort of set stock and just left. Um, but he came back and, and sort of drummed at home a little bit more and it was that extra energy coming back, I suppose, and saying, and, and then we go, okay, well, let's, let's, let's go at it that way. Let's do that. Let's do that. And, and yeah, I've just seen a response that quickly. And I, I think we've seen more of a response this year because of the season and, um, you know, the previous three years where it's been dry, where we have done rotational grazing, not probably so intensely. Um, we haven't seen as big a response. But now that we've seen it, it's almost like, oh, yeah, okay, now I've got it. Now I, yeah, it, it sort of hits home a little bit more and it's okay, got it, now I know what we're meant to be doing. Okay, yeah, and it's good, good to see in an even good year. As a grazing property who has a breeding operation, is also regenerative, what's your highest priority on the farm? The highest priority as in something, jobs to be done in front of us or...? What's the most important thing in your farming management decisions? Soil. <laughs> Doing the right thing by the soil. Yeah, it's making sure we're keeping that cover on. Um, yeah, just trying to keep the, the grasses and everything happening so that it keeps life going in the soil. Uh, so that's just keeping vegetation there, Something try, trying to keep something growing all the time. So. Yeah, and, and if it's not growing, is is not pulling it back anyway, leaving what is dried there to stay there on the ground to cover it from the effects of the sun or the effects of wind. I mean, you know, we've seen in these years dust storms come through and, and, and I've seen them come out. I've really had a good look at our place to see if it's coming up and it's not. You know, it, it's not coming up off our paddocks and that's really a, a good thing to see is that, okay, we're doing the right thing. See, Nicola and um, Paul and Wendy, uh, Wendy hit it and Paul hit it on the head, is uh, soil cover. Because with re-radiated heat, you, you, people don't quite understand how hot things can get. On a normal 30 degree day, bare soil can be up to 50, 60 degrees in temperature. Biology's dead at 50, 55 degrees. So if you start cranking that soil temperature up, um, you've got huge moisture loss, you've, you've lost all the, the ability for water infiltration because 
of their soul and we see this whereas Wendy and Paul are here right now for every raindrop that falls they're capturing and it's being put back into the aquifers also being stored in the, the biology of the plants and it's just the longevity of green growth you know it's and that's key absolute key I think the lesson is that you can learn quite easily is would you sit on that ground with, with no clothes on? <laughs> that's, that's sort of how I, I can gauge that. Yeah. Um, Paul, you're quite fussy about water for your animals. Do you have hard water and how do you manage it? We do have a, a good um, bore set up um, with troughs and, and pipelines, of course, um, not all of our paddocks have got troughs at this stage. Um, we're moving towards trying to get more troughs around and with also changing a bit more fencing to, to manage the grazing. Um, the water itself uh, that comes out of the ground is, is a little bit, uh, has saline salts in it. Not too hard by any means, but um, yeah, it, it does have the calcium hardness in it. We do have a couple of things which we run it through to try and help keep it in solution rather than, than attracting its like self um, with the salts. And, yeah, that seems to help. Just having that clean, fresh water for the stock is, is a must, really. So, mm. what well, it goes through a system. It just, it just um, goes through a, a vortex system that we use, which is... I'm not sure exactly how to explain it. It, it. it generates a small electricity charge to keep the the um, molecules in the water um, free flowing. Yeah. I had the pleasure of doing that grazing course with Chris. Um, he was just here earlier. It's a shame he couldn't be on the podcast. Mm. You talked about his energy coming in and how much that helps you with that sort of with fresh ideas. I wouldn't call it a new mindset, but it's certainly an add-on to what you have. Um, do you see uh, a change from your parents to you to Chris? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, yeah, it, it's really good having that energy come through and, and uh, we were fortunate uh, with Paul's parents when they were here is uh, they, they actually let us run the farm quite well. Um, so we were able to to change things up to the way we wanted to do things. Um, it was a stud operation and we changed to a commercial operation. Uh, I said we rotated the sheep out um, to make things a little bit easier and we changed up um, the way we were um, we were grazing and so forth as well. With, with Chris doing that course and, and um, we've always talked about health to our kids and so forth as well and he's always been interested down this path and wanting to do it for so long and him coming back now and having his input and his ideas and, and speaking to other people, other contacts he's made through the course as well about what they're doing. Also um, with the management now of the of the ewes because we weren't a breeding operation with, with sheep before. Um, it's really valuable to have that and, and it's also valuable um, from an intergenerational thing is, is you know, we have three, three children, we, you know, we want to sort of head all in the same direction. We all want to be on the same tram because it's no good if we're not. Um, and to be to have the same values and to be wanting to head into the same direction is fantastic. Do you think that the values in farming are reflected in your life? Yes, 
Yes, I think we do. We, yeah. we, we look after our own health. Uh, we, we're mindful uh, of um, eating well, of moving. If we're not well, we're mindful of actually um, seeking help for that as well. Um, same with your paddocks. As, you, as I said, you know, we look after ourselves quite holistically, but at the end of the day, if there's an issue, you know, you're going to go to medicine and, and have a look and, and um, work it out that way as well. And we look at the same as our paddocks if there's an issue. Um, we do want to do things holistically, but sometimes we need to be able to manage something that's, that's holding us back from being able to move forward in that paddock. Do you have any more questions of your farm's potential if you walk around and you think there's something there I, I think is still ready to shift? Where, where are your thoughts going for where you want to concentrate now? Because it's absolutely abundantly full of life at the moment. It's, it's a beautiful farm. Where are you looking to now? Oh, well, there's still other paddocks that we want to focus on. They're not quite as good as others that we've sort of looked through this morning. Um, the paddocks we looked at this morning were paddocks we've done something with this year and the life that's come back up in them is fantastic. And, I mean, the other paddocks are okay, but yeah, as I said before, the creek paddock is another one, the lower fertility paddocks we like yeah. to try and work with and get them happening better it, as well. So. It's, it's also identifying and encouraging those perennial species those native species to come through and, and, and learning how to manage them better so that they become more prolific and so that you do have a live plant all the time through the year. And so it's it's an identification of what we've got, okay, and how can we how can we intensify it, how can we move it through our system. Um, so that that's a direction I really want to head in as well. Well, it's been wonderful chatting. Phil? Yeah. Do you have anything to add? Uh, <laughs> Michaela, Paul, Wendy, uh, wonderful to be out here again. Beautiful results, stunning results, and, and, and it just shows that just with a little bit of effort and time, timing has got a lot to do with it, mm, like the seeding. Yeah. yeah, crucial. But also understanding that people don't quite understand how the biological triggers work, and the biological triggers work like with Nutrisoil, is it's actually activating the seed. When the seed germinates, it thinks it's in seventh heaven and it gets its um, that bum into gear. And, you know, that radical we need at around about eight, nine inches in the first six, seven days. And it can only happen if the soil's viable and, and healthy. And, and with our biological treatments and... Uh, stimulants. Yep. And stimulants, it, it's activating the soil and re getting the soil to reload again. And the management is the next key to all this, mm. is the grazing managing of, of taking it down, spilling the paddock and bringing it back. And in two years, this, it speaks for itself. And it stalls in the bank, literally. There is one more thing I wanted to ask. What can get you down about farming? Uh, quite a few things. It's, it's sometimes, I suppose, those last three years, especially last year, um, it, it, was a, it was a bit tougher. Um, we're, we're fortunate um, when one of us might be a bit down, the other one will, will be able to pick them up. Um, but we also talk about it to each other as to, oh, you know, this is pretty tough or this is pretty hard. But, but it's also... Uh, 
pushing pushing to get through knowing that that we'll be able to get through the other side we have had tough periods before and we can get through and we know we're quite resilient with that it's, it's not just farming we've we've had tough times with it's, it's other life experiences we've had as well um but yeah yeah that constant i think day after day when you're waiting for rain sometimes that can be a little tough and it doesn't sort of quite pan out and i think that's where where you know you look at okay what's going to grow in your soil not what you know not not what you european species or something but but what's going to go on on the whiff of rain and um yeah i i think we've sort of managed to get through doing what we've done quite well coming out of three years of drought this place looks absolutely amazing thank you Thank you. Are we going to go milk a cow now? (laughs) (laughs) And it looked amazing last year. (laughs) Please follow the Biological Farming Roundtable podcast. Share it with your friends and networks. I'm Nicola Maddick and I work at Nutrisoil, a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food.